Welcome to the Parsha Podcast. My name is Rabbi Yaakov Volby. I am recording in the Torch Center in Houston, Texas. I snuck in despite the shutdown, and we're here to record a brand new Parsha Podcast for Parshas Emor. I do feel bad that I have not recorded a new Parsha Podcast in a few weeks. Actually, last week, I started to record one. In the middle of the recording, my daughter woke up, and she made a huge ruckus. My little daughter, I'm not blaming her. I wasn't actually happy with the recording as is, so I ultimately discarded it. Of course, we are still uploading last year's Parsha podcast, the rebroadcast, and we're doing it every Sunday. And actually, every year I re-listen to it myself. I'm not going to ask you to listen to something that I won't do myself. But we have not done a new Parsha podcast in a few weeks. Of course, things have been busy. Kids are home. Life is very unusual. I did do a bunch of podcasts recently that I'd like to plug. I did a podcast on this Jewish life, the, that particular podcast channel called Seven Themes for the Omer. It's highly recommended. I also recorded uh, two days ago, so it was uploaded recently this week, a new podcast on who was Rabbi Shumar Yechai and why does Lagba Omer matter, a very interesting subject. I also, last night, recorded a video. It's not a podcast yet. I hope to expand it into a full podcast. I recorded a video that's on the Torch YouTube channel. A very interesting idea, highly recommended. I give it a listen. And of course, we're still working on some Jewish history podcasts. We did a Torah 101. We did a Eternal Ethics, Perky Avos. So I'm still working hard for you And I hope you are okay. Of course, thank God our family are doing well. We're trying to stay safe. We're trying to stay sane during this shutdown. So Parshas Emar, there is a unique confluence that we have in this week's Parsha. Of course, right now, today is the 28th day of the Omer. Uh, We count the Omer, the time spanning Pesach, Passover to Shavuos, today's day 28, that's the four-week point, and it happens to appear in the Parsha, the Mitzvah to count the Omer actually appears in this week's Parsha, Parsha's Emor, talks about all the festivals, Pesach, Shavuos, and the time that spans the two, and I thought it was a perfect thing to discuss on this week's Parsha podcast. So, of course, the time of the Omer connects Two holidays, two festivals, the festival of Pesach of Passover, the festival of the Exodus, and the festival of Shavuos of Shavuot, the festival of Sinai, the festival of Torah. And of course, this is a connection, like we spoke about in the past, we're connecting, we're bridging two elements of the Exodus. The Jewish people leave Egypt, and we're free, of course, of our Egyptian overlord, And at Sinai, that freedom is completed because at Sinai we get the Torah, and that is the ultimate ticket to freedom, the ultimate freeing ourselves of the bondages or the vestiges of Pharaoh, the vestiges of Egypt. Now, we're told, and we've mentioned this in previous podcasts, that the time of the Sephira, of counting the Omer, that is a time that is designated for preparation, for anticipation, for Sinai, for Torah. Of course, the Jewish calendar, it's not a dead calendar. It's not an inanimate calendar. It is a spiritual calendar with spiritual junctures throughout the year. If we did Pesach correctly, 
we were able to obtain a certain modicum of freedom reminiscent of the original Pesach, of the original Exodus. We're now in the process of preparing for Shavuos, preparing for Sinai, preparing to re-accept the Torah, also reminiscent of the first Shavuos, of the first Sinai experience, the revelation at Sinai. And therefore, this time, these 49 days connecting these two points are days of preparation. And how exactly is that done? That is a question that, of course, we should ask. And there are a lot of answers. How do we prepare for Torah? How do we prepare for Shavuot? How do we prepare for Sinai? That is the central question we have to ask during the times, during the weeks of the Sphero. So, of course, the number one answer is, well, if you want to prepare for Torah, the best way to prepare for Torah is with Torah study. And in fact, if you go back historically to the first time between Pesach and Shavuos, to the original Exodus, that story when the Jewish people left, and they are trekking to Sinai, what actually happened in the interim days spanning the Exodus and the Sinai Revelation? Of course, there's the splitting of the sea, and they start getting the manna. But right after the splitting of the sea, we read in Exodus chapter 15, verse 22, they leave the sea, and they go in the wilderness of Shur, and they travel for three days in the wilderness, and they don't have any water. And they travel to a place called Mara, and in Mara, the water is very bitter. That's why it's called Mara, as the, the verse tells us. And the people complain to Moshe, we have nothing to drink. We've been going three days without water. Give us something to drink. So Moshe cries out to God, and God shows Moshe, God shows Moses a stick piece of wood. He throws it into the water and miraculously the water sweeten and the nation has something to drink. And the verse concludes, this is again verse 25, So there the Almighty placed for the Jewish people a law, an edict, and there the, they were tested. So what's the connection between the Jewish people getting the water and getting tested or getting some law. So Rashi tells us that in this locale, in this place they stopped, a place called Mara, even though this is before Sinai, before they formally received the Torah, some portions of the Torah were conveyed to them. And Rashi tells us, what are these portions? A, Shabbos, the laws of Shabbos. B, Para, Duma, the laws of the red heifer, the red cow that is slaughtered and processed and used to create the potion that's sprinkled upon people that came in contact with dead people and it purifies them. And finally, dinim, which is interpersonal laws. These are the three laws, or three categories of laws that the nation received in Mara. Talmud adds that they also received the law of honoring parents. That's what we're told. Now, there's some obvious questions here. You know, the nation, we left Egypt, and now we're traveling, and we're traveling with a destination. Of course, we have to shake free of the Egyptians and we get rid of them at the splitting of the sea. We have to get some food. We get the manna. We have to get the water. But we're actually heading to a very specific destination to the mountain of Sinai. And why are we going there? We're going there to get the Torah. So why is there this need to have a down payment of some mitzvahs of the Torah? Why is there a need when they arrive at Mara for them to get the three laws of Shabbos, of the red half of the red cow, and the general laws of interpersonal damages. Doesn't it make sense to just wait? 
don't they have the ability to have a little bit of patience to wait for sign in question A? Question B, why particularly these three mitzvahs? There could have been any mitzvah they could have chosen. Out of the 613, there's plenty of options. Why specifically these? So if you read Rashi, when Rashi comments of the mitzvahs that they got, Rashi, if you read it very critically, you may find the answer. Rashi says, in Mara, the Almighty gave them some of the portions of the Torah, bahem, so that they should have something to occupy themselves with. The reason why we got these three mitzvahs is not because the Almighty wanted to give us laws that we should fulfill. Rather, these were things that we should study so that we should have something to occupy ourselves with. And the Maharal elaborates. He says, on a Kabbalistic level, he says that when they went for three days without water, it doesn't only mean they went without physical water. It means that they went without spiritual water. Well, what's spiritual water? Study of Torah. The nation was starving. They were thirsting not only for the physical water, but also for the spiritual water, the nourishment of Torah. They were bereft of Torah. And the Almighty says, now is the time that they're marching to Sinai, but if they get to Sinai and they're dying of thirst or they're dead of thirst, not just the physical thirst, but the spiritual thirst, well, who am I going to give Torah to? The nation, the nation of souls that left Egypt, they have to be spiritually sustained and spiritually vital before they can receive Torah. And therefore, these laws were told by Rashi and elaborated by the Maharal. These laws were not laws that they could apply them. These are the most relevant laws per se. In fact, the law of the red heifer is extremely not relevant. It's very rare to actually have a red heifer and to be able to fulfill the mitzvah. It's only under certain circumstances people die. In fact, we know that during that era, during that time, no one died. So it's not relevant at all for them. So why'd they get those mitzvahs? They got those mitzvahs so they should have Torah to study, even if it's not immediately relevant to them, they should have Torah to study and they should have some spiritual nourishment to prepare them for Sinai. Of course, this is what we just said earlier. One of the ways, maybe the best way to prepare for Sinai is with Torah itself. And that is indeed what the nation themselves, how they occupied themselves before Sinai, before the original Sinai. And the morale continues, and he says, these three mitzvahs were not arbitrarily chosen. These are three different kinds of Torah subjects that potentially could appeal to three different kinds of people. And he elaborates. We have the laws of Shabbos. And the unique characteristic of the laws of Shabbos is that it is very numerous. There's a preponderance of complicated laws. There's so much there. And that's one kind of law that they got. And then there's Paraduma, the red heifer. And there, there's not so many laws. In fact, there's very few laws. But the laws are very deep. It's not very broad. It's not horizontally challenging. It's vertically challenging. It's a verse in Ecclesiastes. Amok, amok. It's very, very deep. And who can fathom it? The deeper you go into the subject of the red heifer, the deeper you discover that it actually is. And finally, the nation is told also the laws of, of jurisprudence, of, of interpersonal jurisprudence. And those, he says, are very fine, very nuanced laws. And he quotes the Talmud. If someone wants to become wise, they should study the laws of monetary 
of monetary disputes because if there's a slight change in the scenario, in the situation, there's going to be big ramifications. And that teaches you to think very subtly, very finely, very critically in a very nuanced way. And that is the challenge of those particular set of mitzvahs. So again, what he's telling us here is that we were given these mitzvahs not so that we could apply them, but we could study them and fill our belly, so to speak, with Torah as a means to prepare for Sinai. And maybe we could argue, like we mentioned, that the reason why there was variety, you know, if the Jewish people need to learn, okay, give them Shabbos, we have a mitzvah, good, right? But maybe the reason why there's a variety here of different types of study, it's because everyone is a little bit different. Everyone connects to something different. And therefore, it's important that everyone study Torah, and therefore, there's given an option. Everyone's, there's, a, there's a motley list of options. If you are the person who happens to connect with one idea that you want to just plumb deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper into one idea, well, here you go. You have the red heifer. If you're someone who wants to study a lot of laws, a lot of different disparate laws, here's the laws of Shabbos. If you want to study laws and you want to study them on a, on a very precise level and and be able to differentiate between slightly different cases that maybe the surface looked the same, but when you analyze them with a microscope, it turns out to be different. If you happen to connect to that kind of study, well, here you go. Here's the laws for you to study. Everyone's different. Everyone connects to different parts of Torah. Talmud effect says that's not me. I personally happen to be someone that I like the things that are a little bit more abstract. There was a time in my life that I wanted to write a book on the three things that the Talmud says. Talmud has a list of three things, three laws, three mitzvahs that never happened and never will happen. So, of course, someone, some other people may say, hey, if it never happened, it never, never will happen. I'm not even interested in it. It's totally theoretical. It's hypothetical. It's abstract. It'll never happen. Give me something that happens every day. And then you have someone like me who says, I'm the opposite. If it happens every day, it's less appealing for me to study. If it never happens, if it's totally rare, if it's much more abstract, the more abstract, the better. Different strokes for different folks. Everyone's created differently. But before Sinai, before the original Sinai, the humanity is going to prepare Torah for everyone to study, not necessarily because they need to study it, it's obligatory to, to implement it, as if it's relevant for them in a practical sense. No, they need to study Torah because that's the way to prepare for Sinai. And I would say us too, when we are preparing for Sinai, we could very well opt for the same approach. Busy ourselves with Torah. Find something that speaks to us. Find something that resonates with us. Immerse ourselves in Torah and thereby prepare for Sinai, prepare for the revelation, for the festival of receiving of the Torah on Shavuos. Of course, traditionally, there are people that study Perkei Avot, the chapters of the fathers, specifically the chapter 6, which talks about the 48 ways that we get Torah. There are others that focus on the interpersonal relations with other people, to love other people. The verse tells us that when Jewish people coalesced around the mountain, the whole nation was united as one. And therefore, another way to prepare for Torah is to try to find commonality and overlap and love between you and your fellow men. Today, I want to suggest an angle to this. Maybe something practical to consider, maybe even a challenge for the audience. I happen to have seen this week a very interesting essay by the Rambam by Maimonides. This is from his great philosophical work, Moran Vuchim, Guide to the Perplexed. And he's talking about why bad things happen to good people. 
And he observes that in the hearts of the masses, people think that what bad happens, when bad things happen, those things actually outnumber the good things. And he even notes, I found this really interesting, he notes that in the hymns and in the music, in the pop culture of his time, people love to complain. It's not a new thing. I would say today, you know, in the news, it's all the bad news. If it bleeds, it leads. Uh, the comedy, everyone loves to complain. And therefore, people may get the impression that really the bad things are what dominate. And therefore, they ask questions, you know, why does God do so many bad things? Why does God tolerate? Why does God allow so many bad things to happen? Because in their worldview, they see the world as being, you know, the bad things outnumbering the good things. And of course, if, if you happen to be someone who watches television, you, of course, know that all the news is bad when, in fact, the truth is we're living in the best times ever at least depending on the on the metric, you know, it's the, it's the most peaceful time. There's never been a time in history with fewer wars or more people out of poverty. But that's a separate discussion. We'll get to TV in a little bit. But the Ram goes on to elaborate why bad things happen to good people. It's a very long essay. But I want to point to what it, one of his ideas that he says. He says the majority of bad things, what bad things do happen to a person, it's their own fault. And that is because what people do to themselves with their bad character, and he elaborates, they have too much lust, they have too much desire for food, for drink, for intercourse, and they take it more than they need. They eat too much, they indulge too much, or they do in the wrong order. Maybe they have the dessert first and then they have the meal. Or they have bad food, poor quality food. Sounds very, very modern, right? As a result of people behaving in a way that's harmful for themselves, they get, this is the reason, says the Ramam, of all illnesses, of all maladies, both physical and mental. And he goes on to elaborate. People develop mental illness or mental problems because they indulge themselves in things that are not necessary. And they retrain their nature to desire to covet the things that are unnecessary. And things that they don't need, things that aren't helpful to them, things in fact that are harmful for them. And as a result of that, because even though they didn't need it initially, but because of that they get addicted and they retrain their physiology to be desirous and to need it, the things that they don't need. And that is the cause of all illness, both mental and physical. And then he goes on to point out that, you know, the things that you do need, things that are absolutely essential, the real necessities, they're bountiful. There's plenty of it available. And the reason why people are miserable and the reason why people cause problems for themselves is because they develop addictions for things that are unnecessary. A very interesting and a very provocative idea from the Rambam. He's telling us there's there's a certain model here. The model is that you give your body its necessities and then you give your soul Torah. That's what it should be. But instead, we indulge in all the unnecessary things and we develop new dependencies and then that causes all kinds of illnesses and all kinds of problems. 
Now, in fact, we have a name for the force that wants us to get addicted to all the things that we don't need. In Jewish literature, in Jewish philosophy, the name for the force that propels us towards addiction is called the Yetzirah. In fact, the, the very same formula that the Ramam writes appears in the Talmud of Avodah page 17a. It talks about how someone does not need something, but because they hearken to the Yetzirah and they begin to indulge in the forbidden fruit, they develop a dependency to it to such a degree that if they withhold from that, if they withdraw from the thing that they're addicted to, it could be so bad, it could be so harmful, it could even be fatal to them. And in fact, this week, I also happen to have seen a very interesting comment by Ramchal, by Rabbi Moshe Chaim Lutzato, in his seminal work, Misil Sesharm, Way of the Upright. He's talking about how the Eight Sahara manipulates a person to be always frenetically busy to the point where they have no free time to contemplate or to examine. And they're living a life and they're not thinking about what they're living for. And that is because the Yetzirah fills up their time, making sure there's always something to do. There's always something to occupy yourself with and you'll never have time to think about what really matters. This got me thinking... Torah perhaps can be defined as the anti-addiction, as the antidote for, the, for addiction. The Talmud already says clearly that the Torah is the antidote for the Yetzirah. And the Yetzirah, we, we explain, the Talmud says, that's the force that tries to get us addicted to all the things that we don't need, to develop dependencies on things, the cloud that muddle our focus on what we're really living for. So if the Torah is the antidote for the Yetzirah, and the Yetzirah is the force that propels addiction, we could say, ergo, that Torah is the prophylactic against addiction. Now, it's interesting. The Rambam is writing this well, 900 years ago, a long time ago. The Ramchal is 300 years ago. What about today? If they were, if there was a problem with addiction then, in the Talmud 2,000 years ago, talking about addiction, today, our world, our society, there's addiction everywhere. Our whole societies they're all addicts. We talked about TV earlier. Thankfully, I don't have a TV in my home. But I did Google the question, how long does the average American watch television a day? How many hours of television do they watch a day on average? And the answer is somewhere between four and five hours. What's happening here? You have a machine, you have a screen that is feeding you information and it's all passive. You're not active. You're not actually thinking and you're being lulled, and you're being manipulated, and your mind is corroding, and you're addicted. You're addicted to your shows. You're addicted to all the things that you, per se, I'm not talking to the audience. I'm talking about in general, the American consumer, the American society, their mind's being corroded, and they're being addicted. And even people that don't have a television, they have a smartphone. And, of course, one of the features of the smartphone, maybe the apps people use the most, is social media. They have uh, Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and Pinterest and TikTok. And each one of these products, the feature that's most powerful about them is that they are designed to be as addictive as possible. Some of the most intelligent people in the world, some of the most intelligent, capable engineers and, and social scientists are there figuring out what is the most addictive way to present this information to you? I heard a line, powerful line. Scrolling is the new smoking. 
Scrolling is the new smoking. If the Yetzirah was trying to get us to be addicted, there's nothing as powerful. There's no tool that he has as powerful in his arsenal as the smartphone. And what happens? The Rambam says we're supposed to think about what we're living for. And now we live in a world that there's no white space. There's no time for someone to think. If someone's waiting online or someone's waiting in the doctor's office, they always have their phone. And therefore, there's never a window for your intellect, for the Eitzar Tov, to penetrate the cloud of addiction of the Eitzar Hara. And I would imagine if someone's going to invent a way to use the phone in the shower – then the Yetzirah triumphs over all. Maybe it's actually happened. I'm sure there's someone who's already done that. A way to, you know, the last sacred space, so to speak, the last place where your mind is not being bombarded with all the addictions, where you finally think clearly, maybe that will, will also lose that. Now, if you're a veteran listening to my podcast, I, I don't imagine you've heard this rant from me before because I don't usually speak about this subject and I'm not... I'm not, uh, you know, that's not what I do. It's not my shtick. But in preparation for Shavuos, in preparation for Sinai, I decided to experiment a bit. Torah, as we said, is the anti-addiction. It's the antithesis of the Eight Sahara. It is the prophylactic against addiction. And of course, it teaches us to use our brain, to think actively, not passively. And of course, it teaches us restraint. There's all these things that we can't do, and there's all the things that we have to do. And what if the Yetzirah says no? Okay, the Torah trains us to behave in certain ways, even if we may be desirous of doing the opposite. I think Shabbos is the great safety or, or a great hold on addiction. You know, if you keep Shabbos, you can't use your phone for 25 hours, no matter what. You can't watch television for 25 hours, no matter what. What if you're addicted? Okay, now you're not addicted anymore because you have Shabbos. The laws of need, the laws of, of family purity. No marital relations for two weeks out of the month. Again, training yourself to become more regimented, to adopt good habits, to be in control of your behavior, to have good habits, to discard bad habits, and to not be a puppet of the Yitzhahara. In that light, in preparation for Sinai, I want to suggest the following challenge. And again, I'm not asking you to do what I'm not going to do myself, so I'm all in on this. As I mentioned, I don't own a television. I do own a phone. So my commitment is that we'll start with a minimum of a week. I'm going to stop doing anything that's not productive on the phone. We're not going to do it for a week. I personally... I don't enjoy Facebook. I don't even have, I never had the app on my phone. But I did develop, maybe we could say, a taste for Twitter. So yesterday, I uninstalled it from my phone. I don't play a lot of games, but I had one game on my phone, a chess. I like to play chess. That too, I uninstalled yesterday. Also, unsubscribed from a very interesting daily podcast that I felt was becoming too addictive. And if you happen to be addicted to my podcast, that's a good kind of addiction. But if it's something which is not necessarily Torah and you feel like you have to listen to it, maybe that too is within the realm of addiction and we're trying to unshackle ourselves from the addictive tentacles of the Sahara. I also started listening to Torah podcasts twice. You know, when you listen to something, okay, you know it, right? But then I realized that I can't necessarily piece together what I heard. So I listened to it a second time 
And I've been starting to do that a lot. And it's been very interesting because I'm starting to actually being able to retain a lot more. But my challenge to the audience is that maybe there could be another way to prepare for Sinai. If Sinai is when we got Torah, and Torah, or one of the definitions, a definition that we could give to Torah, is that it's there to break addiction. Maybe the way to prepare for Sinai is to break the addiction that we all have. Of course, addiction is a very loaded term, and it's commonly uh, ascribed to people, God forbid, who have chemical dependencies and other things. But we also have chemical dependencies. on Everyone does. If you have a Yetzirah, you have addictions. Unless you're like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who triumphed completely over the Yetzirah, you're, you're also addicted. We're all addicted. That's, that, that's the design. And that's the challenge. That's why we have Torah, to fight that. Maybe a way we compare for Sinai is to try to fight this addiction. And of course, it has to be gradual. Even someone, God forbid, is addicted to heroin, you don't take it all off at one time because that could be actually very dangerous. They could even die of the withdrawal symptoms. So what I'm committing to is to bleed out there again. I'm not making any promises. We're very wary in Jewish law to not commit ourselves with a ned or with a vow because then it's very problematic. We don't, we don't make vows. So we're not making a vow, but this is the plan. Please, God, I'm not going to use my phone for anything that's not productive. And we'll try it out for a week. After a week, we'll see what happens. But this is, and I, th- I thought that I had this week's Parsha. We're talking about the holidays, the festivals, preparing for Sinai. And we have the Sphira. And our sages tell us the Sphira is a time spanning these two worlds. We have the Exodus and we have the total freedom of Sinai, of Shavuos. And therefore, it's a time for us to try to free ourselves from all the things that are withholding us from being free, from all the things that we are addicted to. So I'm going to commit to this. If you want to accept the challenge, send me an email. We'll be in this together. And I suspect that this will open up new portals, bigger portals of insight, of wisdom, of Torah. And by the way, not even for Torah, for business, for productivity, for your job, for your children, for your spouse, for your community. When we free ourselves from addiction, we become bigger people. That's what the Torah wants of us. So that's my, my, my pledge. My email address is rabbiwolbajima.com. It's great to be back. It's such a joy to have the Parsha podcast once again. Please, God, we'll try to do it again uh, next week. Maybe we'll uh, I'll let you in on the findings. So again, the email address is rabbiwolbajima.com. Have an amazing week. Have an amazing Shabbos. And let us all break our addictions together.